This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this Tuesday, May 19th, 2020, episode 2437. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. Feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? How do I get Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning, and welcome back to Christy. Hello, Glenn. So, Christy, out there in Colorado, have you been getting out of the house, going hiking in the Rocky Mountains every day? Well, you know what's interesting about Sunday is a long time ago, and for those that have been listening to the show for a while, you know my very first horse was Popcorn. Well, I buried that horse. Much to the dismay of the fiance at the time, who is now the husband of 20 years, going, are you going to bury all the horses? And I go, no, 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 just this one. He was the first. So he's buried, actually, in a cemetery up in Evergreen, Colorado. And there's humans on one side and uh, livestock really? on one and then pets on another. It's the Only coolest cemetery <laughs> ever. And it's right next to a big lake. And he has wild elk and deer that he's kind of chummed in. So the elk and deer are always close. <laughs> I mean, it's just a great place. So I went up there with so uh, cool. my son, Kyle, and we took the uh, weeds off of Popcorn's headstone because it's one of those that's flush to the ground. So if you don't go up every few years, it gets covered over. So that's why we took a little drive and did that. That was lovely. It's I took a drive out to the Gulf, which is only about 40 minutes from our house, the Gulf of Mexico. And I took my bike out. And there's some really nice bike paths out there. And, and uh, it, it was nice just to see different scenery than the yard. You know, yes, <laughs> or the trip to the store in town, right? Uh, it's amazing how much you miss that. Yes, as the things we take for granted, we're not going to take quite for granted anymore. I don't think. How do you, you travel a lot? I mean, a lot for your job. You're usually gone, you know, a lot. <laughs> you haven't been home this much, or for this con- uh, continuous length of time for for any period of time that I can remember. <laughs> and we've known each other for ten years. So, how is that? Are you getting itchy? Yeah, it's it's been a little while. Yes, I uh I wouldn't mind going on a trip. Actually, that that would be okay. <laughs> um I did a bunch though right before everything hit, kind of back to back and I got kind of tired. So it was kind of nice for a little rest, but now now I that's what I like to do. I love meeting the people and shaking the hands and looking them in the eye and not through a, a video screen. That's that's what I like. So yes, I would I would eventually like to get back to it. My I'm hoping that things work out where we all can slowly but surely and in a safe way start doing that again. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> I think, I think Jennifer's getting sick of me. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been says in for, a whisper <laughs> yeah, for the last two years, I've been doing uh, finding Florida trips almost once a month, and it, it'd be three or four days every month. I'd be gone. Yes. And I, I am missing that. I'm missing traveling around and doing fun things and uh, getting out of the house. And I think Jennifer's really missing me getting out of the house. So there's that. <laughs> Everyone likes little breaks from each other, right? We yeah. love our families, but we also like little breaks. Sure, and you have the kids, healthy. too. So, I mean, at least during school, you got the breaks, right? Right. That is yeah. true. Yeah. Are they getting sick of being in the house? You know, they are. And school is finals this week, online finals. So they're doing those. <clears throat> and the next week, I actually signed them up, uh, my husband and I, for a hunter safety course. And it's all online. And then eventually, when things open up, they'll be able to actually go shoot and show. And they'll probably never hunt. It's more just for the experience mm-hmm. of knowing, you know, what to do with a gun. So they're going to do that. And then we're still having 4-H, even if it's virtual. They're still going to have record books and things. So that's still kind of up in the air about whether or not they're going to have the full fair with the full carnival and all that. Probably not. But they might do like a day of a certain animal, possibly, and just allow the parents and things to come in. But we're still looking at what that looks like. I'm not sure what the fair committee is going to decide. But in the meantime, they still have to work with their animals. So there's still some stuff. They don't have virtual cows and virtual sheep. (laughs) (laughs) I think the funniest thing about all this, I was going to share a story totally off topic. So Sean is in chemistry this year and he had a lab he had to do. So he's reading off all the ingredients he needs for the lab. And I'm like, wow, they really expect parents to go buy beakers (laughs) and stuff. But I'm, you know, good mom, right? I'm like, sure, I'll go buy all this stuff at some point. It'll be fine. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, mom, let me just click on the lab and see what happens. So he clicks on it. It's all virtual. And it makes him sit there as it fills the beaker. And it makes him sit there (laughs) as it heats up the water. I mean, he's like it paid. He's like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's really funny. Where would you buy a beaker? I don't even know. I was like, well, I have to go on Amazon and buy beakers like a chemistry kid said. I mean, I didn't even know what I was going to do. But then all of a sudden he's like, wait, mom. And he pushes the button and it's all virtual. Yeah, I don't see I don't see moms buying beakers in in uh, all over the country. That's for sure. No, probably not. And I had a moment of how is this possible? <laughs> and then it was not what was happening. Yes. Well, what's going on in today's show? What's coming up? So on today's show, this is so exciting. We're going to start with uh, Maureen Gallantin and Horses on a Mission, and you're going to hear all about her program and what she does. And she lives in Tryon, North Carolina. So yeah, that's kind we of saw her place. when we were at the WAG. Uh, yes. Yeah, because she's right there. <laughs> pretty awesome. What an awesome place to live if you're in the horse world. And then um, after that, we're going to have Bob Burns, and he runs the Corpse of Cadets at the Texas A&M University. So that's going to be really cool to talk to him about his experiences. And then we have uh, Julie Goodnight on, who, of course, has been our program director, master certified instructor with us, all kinds of things. And she's coming on to talk a little bit about uh, getting your horses back in shape. She's been doing, I've been noticing she's been doing, what, daily videos or a series of videos? She has. And she's going to tell us a little bit more about them because they're all recorded for people to go see. But she's been doing them out of her living room. Yeah, I noticed that. (laughs) Different things, you know, for stretches and posture and things for riders and just having fun and they've been very well attended they've they've been fun i notice a lot of people you know obviously a lot of people have time so they've been you know i think more people have used to uh learn to use facebook live and zoom and some of the others than ever in history we had more people learn in the last two months than ever in history before 
I would agree. It's not just yeah, reserved so for us geeks fancy, anymore. Too. They're learning how to do the fancy screens behind them, and it's cracking me up. Every time I get on a new one, I'm like, oh, look, they played a bit since the last time they were on. <laughs> well, I hope I don't mess things up. I want to warn the listeners. I have a brand new mixer. We I hadn't replaced my mixer in 12 years, and it was starting to fail. So uh, I got a brand new mixer, which has a 1,000 buttons on it. Half Well, I, no, that's a lie. Uh, 90% of which I don't know how to use. So I pretty much figured the 10 out that I do know how to use, and the other 90 are going to go unused for right now. But, oh, I was going to say, I could be the guinea pig show, and you could just start pushing buttons. I, I, maybe I, I have a like reverb Star Wars and things, but I don't something. know how to do it. <laughs> so maybe at the end of the show, we'll play around and have some fun with that. We'll see if hey, I can Glenn, make it. I have any... a question for yeah. you. Do you have a directions manual that you're supposed to be reading? Oh, you should see that thing. It's like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, and I will not be. <laughs> I'll just play with buttons till I figure it out. Because yep. that's what you do. Or you watch a YouTube video. but And there's one of those for everything in the world. So yes. I'm good. Well, let's get our first guest on here. And I met her, Maureen, probably, I don't know. 12 years ago at Rolex. It seems like I've known her forever and I see her at all these events. We are so excited to have Maureen Gallatin on the show. She's a lifelong horse lover, former riding instructor, life coach, and founder of Horses on a Mission. She's based in Tryon, North Carolina, and is known as a voice of encouragement in the horse world. She writes an inspirational horse devotion called An Extra Flake. Hi, Maureen. Hey, Christy. So I know people are going to want to know what it's like living in Tryon, North Carolina. How close are you to the showgrounds? Well, I'm about 20 minutes away, and um, the showgrounds. So, and the showgrounds is about 20 minutes outside the actual town of Tryon. So we have the best of both worlds. We have the small town of Tryon, and it's all all its local stuff, and then we also have the big equestrian center not far away. I have not been there yet. I need to come. It's a really horsey community, and and that's part of why the equestrian center decided that they were going to headquarter here. Absolutely. It is a lovely area. Um, And I know, when did you and I first meet? Do you recall? I was trying to remember. Oh my gosh, it was a long, long time ago. I should have stopped to think about that. Um, it's probably one of the shows because you attend so many of them. That would be my guess. And you probably had a booth I, and we probably chatted. I think it had to have been back in the 90s. I would guess probably so. It might even have been when I worked for the Arabian Horse Association. So. I think I think you're right. I think uh-huh. you're right. Yeah. So that was a long ago. time ago. So that's that's pretty cool. Well, it's so glad that we've just kept everything going, and now we get to find out more about you. So I ended your bio with an extra flake, and I'm telling you that cracks me up. So where did the idea of an extra flake come from, and what exactly is that? Well, um, an extra flake is a, a little horsey devotion that I write. It's a little story, photo, scripture, and a short prayer in my own words, kind of like a, a pick-me-up. And it came from, you know, when our horses are restless or cooped up or we don't want them to roll after a bath, we say we give them an extra flake of hay. And it keeps them busy, but I think it also provides kind of emotional support. And I figured we could all use an extra flake. So that's how the name came about. 
That is such a great idea. So I just want everyone to know right now, how do they find that? Where do they go to find that? Well, my uh, project is called Horses on a Mission. So horsesonamission.com, they can go to that and they can, the extra flake is free and I send it out each week by email. And although it's Christian, it's really eternal truth. It's not very churchy, if you will. And um, so I, people of all different faiths in, enjoy it. And there's always some little extra smile in that. We could all use one of those right now, Maureen. Absolutely, absolutely, Glenn. <laughs> yes. I want to know why I'm not receiving it automatically. I probably have to go sign up, huh, because of privacy oh, issues. For you, I'll sign, I'll sign up for you. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm saying on the air for all to hear. Put me on the list, Maureen. <laughs> okay, okay. You're, you're there, Christy. <laughs> what a great I, – I didn't know you were doing that. I think that's great. So I know that you've yeah. been quoted um, – you've been saying that people's lives have a larger story than the one that they're living – and that right now, with what Glenn alluded to, with this time of shutdown, may have prompted a golden opportunity. What do you mean by that? I know it's, it's sort of people look at me kind of like, okay, I think you've been out in the sun too long. <laughs> but, but I think most people really have larger stories than the one they tell themselves or the one they're currently living. You know, riding teachers start out as horse-crazy kids following an instructor's footsteps, and they find a sense of worthwhileness as they work with horses or teach riding, but it goes beyond just finding something that you're good at. And then the next step, and CHA is great about this, helping improve their craft so they become a better rider or better at teaching, and, and that path usually means doing more of the same, you know, buying more having more students or horses or learning a new discipline. But the piece lurking right below the surface and very rarely expressed, but it's really pretty big. It's hard to quantify. And it doesn't mean winning more ribbons or jumping higher or bigger class or having more social media followers or even giving clinics. Those are all good things, but that's not the piece I'm talking about. The overlooked piece involves a little voice that suggests maybe you're not quite good enough, not really an insider. It's just maybe you're on the outside looking in, like maybe your life is a little too small. Or maybe you were meant for something more significant and the significance is passing you by. And I think that nagging suspicion sort of causes us to feel defensive and we struggle to find our real value or, or to differentiate ourselves from the person with it. Uh, credentials essentially the same as ours. So the golden opportunity here is that through no fault of your own, your business or your endeavor really has to make some changes due to this coronavirus. So that different way of looking at things can open possibilities. And we've all seen this in the, in the course of horses who started in one career then maybe due to a change in owner circumstances or a slight lameness, they they ended up finding their way to a true calling. And that quality we can't exactly explain is what makes them such a good lesson horse or heart horse or ministry partner or maybe just plain friend. But that transition 
people don't, nobody looks at that as a golden opportunity and it's not necessarily painless. And um, you're eventing people will get a kick out of this. As, as an aside, you know, I lived on a thoroughbred farm. And one night we were folding mares and the farm owner said, I fold Blackfoot Mystery in this stall. Well, Blackfoot Mystery was Boyd Martin's Olympic three-day horse who washed up as a racehorse. But years later, those inner qualities of work ethic and determination and bravery and willingness to try, willingness to take direction, took him to the Olympics. But I can tell you there were no Olympic thoughts the day he came home from the racetrack. <laughs> there was no golden opportunity in, in view there. And, and while I'm not suggesting somebody needs to change profession, but changes in emphasis or taking a look at the deeper qualities that make you who you are and make you good at your job can make all the difference. Um, these forced pivots are painful, but they often have a good outcome. I think that's really good. And you're starting to make me kind of think, and maybe Glenn is too, about what that might be, because we kind of do go along. And then all of a sudden, a change like this makes us have to take a second look. So have you ever had an identity shift personally yourself? Yeah, I can tell you a very painful but um, effective lesson that I many years ago, I moved from New York to California. And I rented stalls, and I started giving riding lessons. And I, I was pretty confident about my skills, but I was feeling vulnerable personally. I only knew a few people there, and one of them being a farrier with a big following. Um, and uh, he knew my work, and he seemed supportive until one day he said to me, Maureen, you're not a trainer. Well, I was devastated. I, I wanted to be accepted as a trainer, and I was doing my best to hold my own kind of in a world where the good old boys did the training. Um, this, uh, Christy, this was down in Poway. Oh, yes, way, in way, uh-huh. way, way back then. So, uh-huh. you know, it was a different world. <laughs> but I felt like he knocked the pins out from underneath me. But then he went on to say, you're a teacher. You help people make sense of what they're learning. Well, it took me quite a while to dry my tears and and then realize the point he was making was right. At that time, in that area, most trainers essentially bullied horses into compliance. And then they taught their students to do that, too. I mean, they didn't look at it as bullying, but it's just how everybody did it. So uh, that wasn't my way, and I had to figure out how to be a valid somebody when nobody used the term riding teacher or riding instructor. So I fumbled my way along, but over time, that tweak allowed me to offer my help as a teacher or coach and feel credible about that. And ironically, that was less threatening and appealed to clients that I was a good fit for people who really didn't want the other kind of trainer but didn't know they had a choice. And using the word coach way back then even got me an invitation to coach a cowboy polo team. So it was a lonely time, but it it proved that pivot proved the foundation for the rest of my life's work. And I really never promoted myself as a trainer after that, but 
kind of emphasize more my coaching or teaching. Maureen, I'm so glad you bring that up because Certified Horsemanship Association, we certify the equine professional that teaches riding. So the riding instructor, or now we also do our equine facility managers and trail guides and things, but we do not certify the horse trainer. We never have. And so there really is a differentiation. And in this country, we tend to not do that. We tend to call everybody a trainer. And in other countries around the world, including Canada, our next door neighbor, and all of our European neighbors, they differentiate. You're a riding instructor, you are a trainer, or you're a coach. And a coach is actually normally like what you were doing, like the life coach stuff, and then starting to get to where you're really coaching nuances of the sport and very particular sport. So you're, you know, um, coaching Olympians and you're coaching world champions, things like that. And I just, I wish we would do a little bit more of that in America because the trainer trains the horse and the instructor trains the rider. And yes, sometimes you're going to find a person that's really good at both, but most of us, us are one or the other, most of us. Yeah, I I think it's an important point, and I felt like this story would maybe encourage some of your people who, um, you know, we see lots of these cold starting clinics, and we see lots of this and that, and there's a lot of bravado involved, and like you got to be better than, but really, it's the inside quality that allow you to resonate, yes, with the horse, but more importantly, with that horse's owner or rider or caretaker. And um, and that is a calling in itself, totally separate from your horsemanship. I would agree. So I'm going to go back just for a second to Horses on a Mission and talk a little bit more about that. Um, we know it operates through a Christian lens, but you say it's not religious. What do you mean by that? Well, I think the heart of the Christian message is that the Creator sees each person as uniquely special, and He invites them into a relationship. So it isn't about ritual or cleaning up our behavior. So um, I take a little different lens to look through to help people understand they are loved and accepted just the way they are. And there's nothing wrong with religious practices. It's just my approach is um, uh, doesn't come through that route. You know, over the years, so many years in the horse industry, I have been watching and seeing that God is doing amazing things through horses and the people who love them. And that's when we realize we are part of that bigger picture, that bigger story, we can gain the confidence to be sort of fully ourselves. And horses help us understand that message. You know, people don't develop faith in God until they sense that God is for them. It's the same crossover point that happens when a horse realizes that the rider is actually for him. And that change in perspective makes all the difference. So, At Horses on a Mission, we try and help people make sense of things through three values that are interwoven, and um, one is promoting good horsemanship, one is making the world a better place, and the other is sharing the gospel of hope. So it's a practical approach rather than a quote-unquote religious approach. 
So I'm going to ask you now as a life coach, because of course, in the bio that I read on you, it said that you were a life coach. And in my opinion, you still are with a lot of what you do. Um, What are your practical steps right now during this, what you call opportunity time? Oh, I'm I'm glad to ask um, because I really want to encourage your listeners on on a very practical level and maybe say some things that are a little different than what they've heard before or reinforce what they've heard before. Just as an exercise, look at yourself separate from what your current operation is or your current um, career path. So if you were that horse who couldn't go on with a race career, what are the innate qualities you know you have even if you can't put words to them or dollars to them. It's just such an important thing to look at. It has to do with building and validating your personal worthwhileness. So on a, on a one level, you might say, okay, I teach writing. But if you tweaked that a little bit, you'd say, you're in the emotional support business. And writing is your tool. Teaching writing is a tool that you use. So shifting what you see as your value can help you bridge this particular gap. And through that particular thought, I would encourage you that resuming work with your students or your clients is going to be a little different in the month ahead. So as you factor that in, you're going to eliminate Um, being frustrated or maybe putting too much pressure on yourself or your horses or your students. CHA is wonderful at helping people learn safety and learning the values and practices. But helping your students to feel safe in a world where there's this undercurrent of anxiety might require a little more patience or maybe more steps or more confidence-building exercises. And my guess is that your students are not necessarily going to appear anxious, but they may show up as crabby or making a lot of petty complaints or ungrateful that you've taken care of their horse by yourself through all this time. <laughs> and, um, and maybe you'll even find yourself feeling a little crabby or <laughs> Or they're going to be more easily frustrated. They're, they're going to feel that like maybe they've lost time or what they conquered earlier this year has been lost or they're falling behind. Um, they might be fearful their horse won't view them as special. Now that you've taken care of him and they haven't seen him, maybe he'll like you more than them. It doesn't sound like that's such a big deal, but it's colossal, especially if you're working with teens or you're working with people for whom their horse is also uh, an emotional support animal, even if they don't call it that. And then realize everybody's going to be more sensitive to criticism or to not looking good in a photo. For heaven's sakes, be really careful that you're not posting a photo of somebody with their leg pulled up or lost stirrup or something, you know, because people are looking for external validation that they're okay, that they're competent. So you might have to go out of your way to um, congratulate them about something that you might have taken for granted at a different time. 
I don't mean to be patronizing. I just, I just mean notice and kind of remind yourself you're not just teaching writing, you're teaching personal character development and decision-making skills and risk evaluation and teamwork and listening to your intuition. So here's the bad part. You have to model those characteristics <laughs> more more than you more than you might have at a previous time. <laughs> Role modeling, yes. I know. It's not well, what Maureen, we want to do. <laughs> I'll tell you though, I'm so glad you bring that up because I often as an instructor feel like tattooed to my forehead is the therapist is in. And I don't have any training as a therapist. Right. But I'll have people show up that are just in a mood, and you can tell. And um, one of my horses could care less. You can put the halter on him no matter what. But the other one really internalizes human beings' natures. And so if you walk up to him in that kind of authoritative, I'm going to catch you, horse, where maybe that teenager's just had a bad day at high school or the um, adult has had a bad day at work, he won't let you catch him. And then they go, oh, I'm a failure, I'm really bad, or oh, the horse is stupid, you know, all those kinds of things. And so we do act as therapists a lot, and even though we don't have any training in it. So I love what you're saying here. I think it's really true. And I I think uh, along those ways, I mean, Chrissy, you've been teaching for so long that you know this, but I think it's always worth reminding people to just listen to their own intuition, listen to the voice within themselves that notices the student who's a little apprehensive or a little too much on the muscle because they're, you know, wanting to prove themselves and, um, and respond in kindness rather than in trying to make them function better, so to speak. They don't need fixing, but they do need love. That's a really good way to put it. I think a lot of us as instructors tend to be fixers, right? We want to fix the problem, fix the solution. You know what I mean? I'm guilty. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So I love that you say for some of us, maybe it's not the actual destination, but the journey. We've heard that quote a lot. So I think that these are some really good ideas. So Maureen, how do people that have been intrigued by what you've said, because I know I always am, um, find out more about you. I know, please mention your website again and any other ways that they can track you down. Well, thanks, Christy. Yes, if you go to horsesonamission.com, you can sign up for the Extra Flake email. It's free. And we do have Extra Flake books you can order. We're also going to do a reboot camp for professionals um, that just explores a little more of what we're talking about. It's kind of about walking out your faith and finding your purpose, maybe figuring out what God is doing in the horse world and what's your part in that. Um, Be sure to tell me, and there's a little note, so send me a little note, and be sure to tell me you heard this through CHA because we have a special price for that reboot camp. And Christy, if I could just leave you with a little reminder, or leave your listeners with a little reminder, I always say a knicker is a sound from heaven that reminds people they matter to God and their life has purpose. And as a riding instructor or camp counselor, you have an extraordinary privilege of coming alongside somebody in an area of their passion. 
and you can share eternal values, kindness, empathy, confidence, worthiness, um, and doing that well honors God. Okay, Maureen, but I have to ask you this. If it's coming from a hackney yeah. pony and it's a desperate Winnie, it means food, right? Because that's what it pretty much means with my hackney pony. Yeah. You think so? Yeah, I think that's what it means. I think. It's the little knickers, Glenn, no, not yeah. the big, loud I don't maze. hear many of those from my hackney pony. It's more this loud scream every time I walk out the door because he's starving to death. Uh, <laughs> well, I understand. <laughs> um, maybe I should differentiate pony... Winnie is different than horse knicker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. No, I do love everything that you've said, though, and it, because I don't think we talk. Actually, I don't. Th- I know you guys do at CHA, but I know on this show we don't talk enough about the psychology of how important it is in the barn that you're you're a leader there. You're you're the person that's handling. And we we had a barn with twenty horses and all the emotions of every teenager and adult in there. And you're dealing with that more than you are the horses. I mean, you know, if you take yeah. a look at the day, you spend more hours dealing with personalities than you uh, people than you do the horses, and it's so important. But everything you said about what they're going to be going through right now, especially those that have been locked out, um, is so true because I've seen it in the Facebook posts. Uh, and they don't sure, you don't mean to be that way. Nobody means to be that no, way. It's just no. you know, it's kind of a you know, we've never gone. None of us have ever gone through this before, so. Uh, from either I end. I think, um, yeah. Glenn, you've said an important word, um, that word leader, and we talk about leaders and leadership, and quite often we think of that as the trailblazer or the person barking orders or setting up the schedule, and that can be it, but great leadership can also happen very quietly or by coming alongside. The steady horse that comes alongside the nervous horse is a leader, even though he's not the the one out in front. And I think just in your in your everyday world, embodying those good leadership qualities, those um, good internal qualities, makes you a person of influence, even if you can't control the schedule or tell people what to do. Yeah. So I think your point's very well made. Yeah. Well, now we have to go to another leader, though. We're running out of time. So, okay. <laughs> thank you so much for being on oh, the call today. We thank so you, appreciate thank you. you, and this thank you for so sharing great. Horses on a Mission with us. Okay. Thank you. And hopefully, Bye-bye. we'll have see you day. in person sometime this year at something, uh, if we're hopefully, allowed. Hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> Thanks, Maureen. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. What she said was so important to people who run a barn. At, and and really, she verbalized what I think everybody kind of knows what's go- what, what what the attitude is going to be like by by some people. But hearing her verbalize it really solidified it for me. Yes, I would agree. And she talks um, very clearly and um, explains it really well and uses good examples. So no, I thought it was it was really good. I I enjoyed it very much. And that whole trainer instructor coach thing is something that Americans struggle with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because everybody thinks it's one thing. Correct. Yeah, or it has to be one. Everybody assumes it has to be has one to thing. Has to be one thing. Right, and exactly. that's, you know, even extrovert, introvert signifies sometimes if you're better at trainer or better than an instructor. That's true. 
Uh-huh. That is true, and you know, I, and I've met many people who say, "Look, I'm not an, well, I'm a trainer. I'm not an instructor. <laughs> give me the horses. Uh-huh. Don't give me the people." You know, correct. Uh, There's a lot like that, but the problem is they go hand in hand. Yeah, so you've got to look at it and develop your weak side. Yep. Darn horses come with people. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of horses and people, there there is a guy who's a leader, and he's our next guest. So let's get him on right now. Tell us a little bit about him. So Bob has served Texas A&M University and the Corps of Cadets for over 17 years. He is the site manager and advisor for 70 horses and 140 cadets who make up the Parsons Mounted Cavalry. He also oversees horse operations for Texas A&M's therapeutic and veterans riding program, which is called Courtney Cares. His primary duties involve overseeing cadet training of the horses, team drivers and riders in over 30 public events each year. Bob, we are so happy, is a CHA certifier for us and a PATH instructor. His horses uh, live in a roaming track environment that we're excited to find out more about, and his riders are trained and certified all up to CHA standards. Thank you, Bob. Welcome to the show today. Thank you, Christy. I'm glad to be here. We are so excited. So the first thing I did when I saw this, and I've been out there, and I think it's the very first thing I asked you. I'm like, what is up with this roaming track environment? I have never seen anything like that before. Can you explain that to people? So we uh, we made a commitment 16 years ago to run our horses barefoot. And to have a horse barefoot, uh, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But the most efficient way is to have them in an environment where they continually move and so a roaming track is designed to encourage movement and it it keeps their feet uh strong uh it keeps their cardiovascular system good uh kind of eliminates obesity to some point uh we've had great success as far as eliminating colic and founder and all those kind of stand around diseases that horse places have uh, just in a nutshell, there's been some good articles out there. Western Horseman did a good article on us uh, a while back, and uh, uh, which explains the track really well. And then uh, uh, the Quarter Horse Journal just did a big article on us, and, and it's mentioned in there. But, but basically, we just took whatever pasture we had. Uh, when we started, it was, it was a small pasture, and we, uh, and we went 30 feet inside of the existing fence and put a one strand electric wire and so that made a 30 foot loop around the pasture and at one end the far end we put hay round bales uh, at the time we just used regular bale feeders now we use a a, a hay hut type uh, feeder which is a curd feeder for uh, round bales and then at the other end is water and also the other end is where we feed them uh grain on a daily basis and so that's basically a roaming track they spend all day out there uh, roaming around and if we have grazing uh if we can give them two to three hours of grazing in the middle of the uh you know during the day we cut our hay consumption by about half so we're happy with that we've had great success with that system we have uh we run horses in herds of 20 to 30 and uh, each of them's on their own track. We have four separate tracks, and uh, like I say, we've we've uh, increased our herd health. It allows their feet to get strong enough to to withstand 
uh, barefoot riding on, we ride on cobblestone and concrete and uh, pea gravel and everything you can imagine. And it also keeps them fit and keeps them moving. If we have a, like at the beginning of the school year, if uh, we kind of think their fitness level might be down a little, we can get out there on horseback or on a gator and just move them around the track. So you can easily give them two to three miles of, of trotting exercise. Uh, it's, it facilitates movement. The key is to have the tracks about 30 feet wide. That way they don't, they're not, even if there's 20 or 30 of them in there, they have enough room to get away from each other and they're not hurting each other and fighting on top of each other. It is such that? a great idea because normally you have round pens for this or you have arena turnout or you have, um, you know, hot walkers for this, that you've done it in a way that combines pasture and movement and feeding. And it's, it's a very unique idea. And I, I think more should do it. It's a wonderful idea. Thank you. So for people that don't know, tell us, Bob, a little bit more about the Parsons Mounted Calvary and um, how it got involved and how you got involved with it. So A&M is a, is a traditional university uh, land-grant school, has about 60,000 students. And within that university is a military school. And that school uh, has 2,500 cadets in it. They live... Uh, exactly like cadets at West Point or the Citadel or anywhere else. Uh, the difference in our program here is only about half of them actually join the military. The other half go into the civilian world. So they do not have to sign a military contract in order to be in the core of cadets at A&M. A&M originally was a land-grant school, like almost all land-grant schools, a military school. And so it has you know, transitioned out of that phase, but the core is still a very viable part of the university. Uh, within the core, um, whether they're going in the military or civilian world, there's a lot of opportunities for leadership training, including certification on their diplomas for leadership. And one of those uh, opportunities is called Parsons Mounted Cavalry. And the cavalry um, in its current state, we have uh, 70 horses and mules, we pull a 1902 field gun, um, and we pull a big escort wagon. We typically, on campus events like football games, that kind of stuff, we'll ride uh, 65 horses, 66 horses. We have the capability of traveling with up to 42 horses. In fact, we traveled to the Rose Bowl or the Rose Parade Tournament of Roses last year and took 42 horses. Um, 95% of the cadets have never been on a horse and have no horse experience. And we don't, uh, we don't choose them based on horse experience. It's very competitive to get in. We take about between 50 and 55 sophomores every year. We don't take any freshmen. Sophomores enter the second semester of their sophomore year. Uh, we have a unique program to teach them to ride. Uh, basically, it's based on the uh, Army's uh, manual from 1935, and they learn bareback with a halter and a single lead rope. And they ride in pairs, so there's one on the ground spotting, and there's one riding, and they switch about every 10 minutes. Um, we have a, a system uh, 
that we teach them a, a breathing technique to lower their heart rate and their adrenaline rate. Um, it's called seal breathing. It's used by special operations forces to, to do just that. Uh, we also have an exercise program that they have to meet fitness uh, standards to be in the core, height, weight standards and uh, fitness standards. But riding, as you know, is a, is a little different uh, fitness requirement. So we have some uh, yoga type activities actually that we uh, teach the cadets and we do uh, pretty religiously <laughs> to get them, especially the, the airing sophomores to get them to not be so sore. I was just going to say, that's and, why they're 10 uh, minutes at a time, right, Bob? Uh, that's so they can walk the next <laughs> yeah, day. Yeah. It's like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, we switch them back and forth and, uh, and they mount and dismount uh, always with a, a leg up or a block. They don't, we don't let them to scramble up or kick our horses or that kind of stuff. And, um, and then they progress from there to a saddle. They ride that way for 30 to 40 days. And then they progress to a military saddle, which is a McClellan, uh, 1903 saddle. It's, they're not antique saddles. They're built for modern horses. We have a saddle maker out in San Angelo, Sean's custom saddlery, and he builds all our saddles for us. And uh, they work through that process until the beginning of their junior year. And then they take a written and writing test. And those who can ride in level three of CHA are allowed to appear in the public uh, and score higher than 85 on their written test. And then the others are not eliminated. We just give them more opportunity for time on task. And uh, until they can meet those standards, and then uh, the cadets are are uh, trained in uh, natural horsemanship. Uh, we uh, kind of have a compilation of a lot of different programs, but basically we teach yield and pressure and release, and uh, we do a lot of groundwork prior to riding at every opportunity, and that's cut our. Uh, Incident accident rates by almost 90%, just having that ground component in the horse's mind and in the cadet's mind. Does that answer I, that? Oh my gosh, very much so. I love the program. And, you know, I grew up in Southern California, so I've got to go back to your Tournament of Roses comment just a little bit more. I got to ride in it when I worked for Medieval Times as a Countess when I was 18, and I still go back to that day. That was an amazing day. So can you share a little bit more about what the cadets felt about going to the Tournament of Roses parade? Well, it's a huge honor uh, to be selected. They only select basically one horse out unit out of not even every state uh, it happened that last year our first female commander was from southern california and we try to go to an area near the commander's hometown and i asked her if uh you know <laughs> she thought we could get into the tournament of roses and she said well i don't know mr burns you know and uh but but her dad works for uh disney and in fact, her name is Rose Fantasia Marshall. That's and awesome. So we, <laughs> we we put all the we put all the application, and there's a long application process and a lot of drama to go through. Just among other things, you know, it costs fifty to eighty thousand dollars to go, and uh, surprisingly, the the uh, horse community in California is not near as 
as uh, conducive to barefoot horses as you might think they would be, but uh, we had to make big applications because we run our horses barefoot and I wasn't willing to shoe them to take them to there. And anyway, we got it all done and uh, it was a, it was a nine day trip. We took 42 horses. Uh, we do a lot of big events that uh, we do the uh, Fiesta in San Antonio, which is behind the Rose Parade in Macy's is the third biggest event. So, and we're in the, we ride into Kyle field with a hundred thousand crazy people. And, you know, so we're used to big events, but nothing compares to the Rose Parade. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> and uh, it's a very intense experience. Uh, not least of which is because you have to get there at six the night before and you spend all night standing out on side of a freeway uh, that's been blocked off from traffic waiting for your six o'clock in the morning lineup time. Yes. And it was cold and windy <laughs> and no rain, thank goodness, but uh, it was a long day. But boy, once you hit that starting line, it's it's just amazing. And the, and the number of people I thought I'd seen big crowds, but nothing like that. It, you know, for five over five miles, uh, huge stands. You know, just tens of thousands of people. Lots of Aggies, A&M supporters, big signs and yelling and all that stuff. Uh, it was really cool. Uh, cadets loved it. And one of the neater things is the when you prior to it, you go to the uh, equestrian grounds at in LA and you stable your horses there. We always stable our horses outdoors. We don't put them in stalls. So we put them in the rodeo arena and, and, uh, but all of the big teams are there. The Clydesdales and the, the forest services packed string was there and, uh, Fort hoods first calf guys were there. And I don't know, there's probably 20 different outfits that, you know, you get to see people from all over the country and talk to horse people from all over and, uh, it, it was a great experience. Cadets really enjoyed it. Uh, horses did great barefoot. Um, uh, we we were nine days in and out. And we pulled them off the semi on the way when we got back, and they were running and bucking across the field. So <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> well, I just think that that was so neat when I found out you were going to do that. And then, of course, I was on my uh, living room couch watching you and cheering you on from here. So. Yes, that was really good. Well, this is, you know, the topic of today's show is how to get your horses and mules back in shape after a break, regardless of if it's a coronavirus break like we're having now or some other sort of break. <laughs> so because if people listen to this in the future, it's still useful, right? So it's for just a break of any right. kind. And you use your horses and mules so much. Oh, my goodness. And you certainly can't be riding all 70 of them all by yourself. And I know you have the wonderful exercise, you know, tracks that you use there. But how are you going to get them all back in shape for the fall semester? What is your plan? Well, we the tracks are really the key to keeping horses in condition. Most horse owners really, if if you can make enough money to own a horse, you're you've got to work a lot of hours and you're lucky to get out there on the weekend you know and so your horse stands around all year and or all week and maybe you have a trainer or somebody ride it for you but uh, i think the track system at whatever level you want is really the key to, to environmentally uh just get your horses to moving and maybe that looks like you have a little hill and you put water at the top and you put hay at the bottom or, you know, but, but any movement that you can 
get will will help. As we get closer to the semester, we'll start moving the horses. I have some student workers that are cadets that are here during the summer that uh, are still allowed to participate uh, or help with horse work. And we'll start moving the horses around the track. Uh, You know, we'll start at about a mile a day and we'll get up to three miles. And then, you know, once school starts in August, we'll, uh, we ride them a lot every day. So, uh, and that with the track pretty much keeps them in, in fit condition. Well, and you had mentioned ground exercises. Do you want to share a few of those with our listeners now? Sure. So we have, uh, we have a set of six things that we do, uh, every time, every time that a cadet gets on a horse and I always tell them, we all come off. Everybody comes off. I come off. We all get thrown off. And (laughs) when you do, I walk up to you and what's the first thing I say to you, you know, your breath's knocked out. You think your legs broken and, and they all say, well, you know, get up and ride or how are you? And I say, no. The first thing I say is, did you do your groundwork? And if you did, <laughs> I get, I called, you know, 911 if we need it. I give you some ice. I pat your little hand. I tell you, you're a good cadet and <laughs> you're going to be fine and get you up and move you around. And, but if you didn't, I kick the bottom of your foot and I say, rise and sin no more. Because we have found that if you do your groundwork, and your horse is responding to you in the way that you've been trained for them to respond, that the chances of you getting hurt are 90% less. And so we teach them the first thing we do is teach them how to catch them correctly in the pasture or in the lots. Uh, We call it two eyes. We want to approach that horse. And when they give us two eyes, we want to lower our profile by turning sideways, maybe sign out a little. Uh, we have 70 horses here that you can walk up to and catch every one. And then once we catch them, we use a, a, a rope type halter uh, and we put the halter on and we ask them to yield their head down. And so we have a specific way that we do that. But basically, we'd like their head to be lower than their withers. It doesn't have to go all the way to the ground. And then uh, the cadets bring them back. And the other uh, steps in yielding are the, the first one is we, so we yielded two eyes, we've yielded their head down, then we want them to yield their body back. And this is not backing. I, you know, backing is where you take your hand and you put it on the range or the halter and you force them back. That's not what this is. This is planting your feet and moving your lead rope to the point that the horse will move away from you backing. And that's what we want the cadets to do. And if they, uh, they get through those three and the horse is responding well, then we move the hindquarters uh, in a 180 where they're crossing over and keeping their forefeet hopefully pretty well in one place. Then we move the forequarters, same way, 180. Uh, and then we, what we call set the emergency brake, but basically it's flex their head around to where the rider's knee would be on both sides. And we do all of that on the ground. And then we, then we mount. And first thing we do when we mount is, again, flex their head around and move them uh, through those 
motions again, not particularly all of them, but at least the, the moving their body backwards and, you know, giving their, their face each side. And then the other thing that's probably different from us is that most horse people feel like, you know, once I'm on that horse, if I get off of him, that's, that's a sign of weakness. I, you know, I need to force him to do what I'm telling him to do. And we, we teach the complete opposite. You know, if the horse is not responding to you in the saddle, we teach them to get off and redo your groundwork. You know, if you're trying to get them to neck rein to the right, then get up there and yield their head to the right, uh, yield their body to the right. If you're trying to get them to back up, they won't back and yield their body back. And if you're trying to get them to side pass and work on that from the ground and then get back and try it on the saddle. So that's our groundwork. They do it every time without fail religiously uh at the threat of death <laughs> Not really, <but laughs> i love it sin no more <laughs> <laughs> so Bob, all right did that answer that yeah it's perfectly and uh, do you want to go into a little bit more detail about some of your mounted work so after they get on and do some of the flexing and things how do you work them up through the cha levels or just kind of riding in general to get to the point where they can pass something like the level three test for cha what are some of the things that you work on so we have class uh schedules and we have instruction that is led by the cadets but overseen by either me or a grad student and we have some phd level grad students here that are really excellent riders a couple of our cha instructors and we uh we just basically take them through every level in the cha level one level two level three level four and we do a lot of that initial especially level one and two work in the arena but then we also have a big playground uh with a lot of obstacles uh, that we spend a lot of time in the playground. And then we have a system of trails out here that are about four miles, pretty intense, lots of up and down, lots of logs, lots of brush. And the upperclassmen uh, spend a lot of time in the trails. And then uh, because we're a military unit, we also have drills. So we have to drill in columns of two and columns of four. And in the spring, we teach weapons uh, to the seniors. So we do mounted shooting and we do uh, saber work, which is uh, weapons, 1860 weapons sabers. And uh, so we, we teach that as part of the military tradition of, of training and discipline. That's so that good. It's wonderful. And I'm going to tell you, by uh, Colorado State University people, you're going to have to put your hands over your ears right now because I know I live here in Colorado. But, oh, my gosh, you're making me want to sign my boys up. They <laughs> well, might be headed your can, way, Bob. <laughs> we can make that work. We, yes, you'll just bring them down here on a, a game weekend and let them spend the weekend. We, we can infect them. Yes, <laughs> oh, I bet so. <laughs> they really want to do it by the time they, they leave here. Well, and I'll tell you, my youngest son's name is Kyle. So when he saw when I came there, I took a picture of Kyle Field and I brought it home. And he goes, Mom, there's a whole entire football arena named after me because he was pretty young at the time. I said, yes, look how cool you are. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a lot of cadets here named Kyle and uh, Ross and a lot of those famous Aggie names. We have very few named Austin. Just, <laughs> <laughs> our big... 
big old rivalry is Texas. We don't even play them anymore, which is great. But uh, so that's kind of funny. That is funny. Well, Bob, how can people find out more? I know they can go, of course, to our chainstructors.com or CHA.horse to find you personally. But how do they find out more about Parsons? What is the different websites and things? So we're very active on Facebook. Uh, in fact, I, I, I just raised almost $40,000, $38,000 for a new tractor that we desperately needed and didn't have money for. And I raised it completely on Facebook. Uh, nice. I've raised almost $300,000 on Facebook over the last 10 years. Amazing. That's an amazing tool. And we, we post every week on Facebook. We post a meet the horse uh, segment and a meet the cadet segment. And then we just have interesting little YouTubes and training blogs. So you can go on there and that's, uh, that's facebook.com slash T A M U no space P M C. Okay. So, uh, T A Texas A&M university P M C. We also have a, we started doing a lot more Instagram. We do a lot of Instagram and that's uh, Instagram.com, T-A-M-U underscore P-M-C. Well, and Bob, we're we so excited a- because I just want to interject for one second. We're going to be there in the fall. And so for those yeah. listening that want to come, it's open to the public. Come and attend our international conference. We're going to be riding these horses and mules. We're going to be sitting on these saddles. We're going to be learning yes. from Bob. We're going to meet all the cadets. And we're going to be over at the Hildebrandt Equestrian Center, which is their wonderful um, NCAA you know, equestrian arenas. So we are just thrilled by the whole thing. Well, we are honored to have you here. It's going to be great. So, Bob, is there um, anything else you want to share about how people can find you since I interrupted there a bit? Uh, you can go to our, our – we also have a webpage, which is pmc.tamu.edu, and uh, it'll give you more background. And all of those we continually kind of upgrade. In fact, in the summers we upgrade a lot. And we're working through them. But the, the Facebook's probably the easiest, most common one that uh, most people go on and and that's T-A-M-U, P-M-C, no space, no underlines or anything. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Bob, so much for being on the show today and sharing all of that with us. It was fascinating, and I loved it. And I want to hear Julie. How do I do that? You just go to um, Horses in the Morning or Horse Radio Network, and you'll see a live button, and click on the live button, and you can hear her. Okay. Thank you very much, both of you. Glenn, appreciate it. All right, thanks appreciate a bunch. It. Thanks a lot. All right, bye. You bet. Bye. Bye. He has seen it all in those years. Oh, isn't with that just so awesome? <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. And it's so funny because he really is a little bit militant, but kind, right? He's just like, get up. You didn't he do has your dealt with work. it. All. And it's a little <laughs> bit military. I mean, you got to be there. Cadets, right? So, so awesome. I think your sons oh, would do great there. Great. Just send them over. I know both of them. I'm just <laughs> yeah. going to ship them off. Military school for you both. Oh, there's going. probably been a couple days recently you wanted to ship them over. Oh, <laughs> so. why do you think I'm smiling so much right now? I'm like, yay, look. <laughs> A new pathway. <laughs> they get to shoot cannons. They get to ride horses. I mean, what work could they want? They get to play with sabers. The yes, minute he said right. sabers, I was sold. I'm like, sabers, <laughs> there you go. They get to ride at the games. I mean, how cool is that? It's just can you imagine cool. how loud? I've never been to one, but can you imagine how loud a Texas A&M game is? 
<laughs> oh my gosh! And to think those horses, the bulls, are just like la la la. It's all <laughs> damn job, deaf. right? Oh, it's just great. <laughs> they're all tone deaf. They're all deaf deaf. <laughs> That's right. They're like no problem. We got this. Yeah. They can't hear anything anymore after all the cannons going off. Uh, so <laughs> I loved him though. He was so like you could tell he's dealt with cadets for a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. It's really to the point. And then he ends yeah. everything. Did I answer your question? Yeah, Bob, you're good. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> he was great. All right, let's. Uh, it's kind of guy that's needed for a cadet program like that. Yes. Yeah. Very military. Yeah. All right, let's talk to. Let's go not military and talk to one of our long, 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 long time friends here at the Horse Radio Network, and also a very long time friend over at the Certified Horsemanship Association. Julie Goodnight is a certified master instructor for us and also our international spokesperson for Certified Horsemanship Association. She travels internationally teaching horsemanship and offering training demos to horse lovers. Julie also offers online training programs and streaming subscriptions through juliegoodnight.com. And boy, she does a lot. So we're going to dive right into our topic, but also just kind of get an update on everything you've been doing. So for those that don't know, tell us a little bit more about Salida, Colorado and where exactly you are located and how the weather is right now and what's all going on. Sure. Well, Salida, Colorado is a small mountain town, um, almost in the center of the state. We're just um, south central Colorado. We're in what's called the Intermountain Region, which means we have mountain ranges on all sides of us for significant distance. So we're sort of right in the middle of all the uh, different mountain ranges that comprise the Rocky Mountains here in Colorado. We live just below the Continental Divide. And so as I look west from my outdoor arena, I'm looking at the Continental Divide. And that's... um, the peaks there, are, you know, that ridge line is about at the 13, 14,000 foot level. And so down here in the valley, where our, our ranch here is at about 7,800 feet of altitude. So it's a beautiful mountainous area. We um, are the headwaters of the Arkansas River. And uh, so it's called the Upper Arkansas River Valley. And it's one of the most beautiful spots in Colorado, it, it um, has been uh, discovered over the, la- over the last decade, so we've grown a lot, as most areas in Colorado have. But, um, you yeah, know, we, we love living here. It's a bit of a grind for me when I'm traveling because i got a three-hour drive, as you all well know, Christy, to the airport. And um, But coming home and driving into this valley is just sort of like a dream come true every time. We've been whitewater rafting out there on the Arkansas, and it is just so great. And I've been lucky enough to go to Julie's house a couple of times. And yeah, it is. You live in paradise, but I'm 15 minutes from the airport. So my daily grind when I have to travel is pretty easy in comparison to yours. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's never, even if I'm going for a short flight somewhere, it's never an easy day of travel with that three-hour drive through the mountains. But it's the price you pay for living in this paradise. Yeah, yes. when she it's not an easy straight flat drive like here in Florida either. When she says through the mountains, she means through the mountains and around the mountains and over the mountains and yeah. Yes. The good news <laughs> for us though though is there's no traffic to speak of. So if you've got to drive 100 miles, it's probably going to take you under 100 minutes. And uh you know, there's some mountainous areas where you might have to slow down a little bit, but we don't get traffic jams here, so that's that's the good news. Especially not now, where the <laughs> yeah, right. cruise right along. 
So yeah. I'll tell you, you've been so good about connecting with your audience online during everything going on. What have you been hearing about how horse lives have been impacted for the people and their horses? And what have you been doing exactly online? Tell us all about it. Well, you know, I, uh, Colorado was one of the early states to go on the full shutdown and travel. Of course, all the events I was booked for canceled. And um, so I didn't have anywhere to go anyway. And right after the first couple of days of that, I was sort of um, pulling my hair out, trying to decide what I was going to do, <laughs> how I was going to make a living if I couldn't do clinics and expos and the like. And so, and then I started thinking that I should just do what I normally do, which is teach people about how to connect to the audience. And so I, I got it in my head to post little short lessons that people could do at home every day. I was thinking about all the kids that might be home from school that are horse lovers and all the homeschoolers and all that. And so we started posting a daily lesson, um, I believe on March 17th, somewhere along in there. And we have been doing either a live lesson or a recorded lesson every single day, seven days a week since then. So we're, wow. I believe, on our eighth week now. <laughs> and I don't know, how, when I first started it, I thought it was just going to be a couple of weeks. And it's just gone on and on and on. And people are really enjoying it. Um, now, today's live post was a special event because... I have, uh, I picked up a four-year-old colt um, for foster training yesterday from Harmony Equine Center. This horse has come into the adoption pipeline. He's not yet ready for adoption. Um, and I've been working really hard to bring awareness to the MyRightHorse.org um, campaign to find foster homes for horses and foster training situations for horses. And so um, I was posting on that alive a lot about people should go to myrighthorse.org and find out what they can do to help. And next thing I knew, I got asked to put my money where my mouth was. Ah. And <laughs> so I have this really super sweet little four-year-old paint horse that is deaf. And he was transported here over the weekend from Oklahoma City through a network of uh, people that help transport horses that are at risk and to find them better situations. So, so I posted last night and today about welcoming this horse here and it just has gotten a huge response, of course, because he's a, he's a little bit of a heartthrob. So, um, so that's been fun. So that's, I've been able to connect, but early on in the, in the shutdown thing, I was connecting through, um, with my people through Facebook live and asking them what's going on. Are you able to ride your horses? Are you able to go to the barn? Are you, you know, are you stuck at home with your horses? And the answers were all over the map. But one thing that started happening early on was people saying, um, no, I'm not allowed to go to the barn. So they got, they got, separated from their horses involuntarily um, because their horse was at a boarding barn. And that, that has created a lot of stress for those people wondering what they're going to do, how their horse is going to be when they get back to them and wonder who's taking care of their horse and stuff. Um, And then some people are able to get to the barn, but they're not allowed to ride because they're, you know, like in California, they didn't want people riding because they didn't want you falling off and they didn't want you calling an ambulance and going to the emergency room. So the, 
the ways in which horse people have been affected are sort of all over the map. Um, for me personally, the only thing that's changed is I'm home more. Um, our horses are getting worked every day as normal and, um, and, and we're riding and enjoying the extra time we have to ride. But, but for a lot of people, it's created stress on what's going to happen when they do get back to riding. I think it has. I think it definitely has. So on some of these things that you're doing, first of all, I just want to say I'm so happy about you getting a foster horse because CHA partners with Right Horse, too. And we just love the fact that that's happening. And we're sharing it a lot. We do weekly chats right now with our members, and we're sharing a lot of that. And um, Kaylin Codwell came on last week to talk about Right Horse on one of our weekly chats. That was very fun to have her on. So we're trying to do, you know, things like that, too. So the fact that somebody said, hey, Julie, go do it, and you did it, I think is fantastic. So on some of these things, how are you guiding people to get back into shape when they ride their horses? Are you doing like yoga and Pilates? What are you doing on these um, online chats? So, you know, it's really been interesting because, of course, we all know that our thought processes and our opinions about what's happening have evolved greatly from week to week. And so have my daily postings, because in the beginning, I was like doing the, you know, sweatpants, sweatshirt, crazy hair. We're all casual at home. And then I looked at some of those posts the next week and I thought, what was I crazy posting that that's on the Internet forever now? (laughs) So so now I'm really careful about setting up my set and about uh, dressing just so and and trying to um, control my crazy head of hair. And, um, but so early on, we were really all on stuck at home orders. And so I started calling them living room lessons and the Glenn were joking me about that because, um, I was just sitting in my living room. And so people, I was trying to give people lessons that they could do at home, not just with their horses. Um, but actually at home in their living room. So some of them are just instructional talks about horse behavior. But people started asking about what I do for fitness and about the exercises I do that help riding. So I've been doing these Pilates workout. I think I did three of them so far. And, you know, they're really goofy because it's just me on the floor of my living room um, doing crazy stretches. But it's been fun. It's, it's goofy because I'm not a professional fitness coach. (laughs) And uh, so I, so um, I'm sure at moments I looked pretty foolish, but we had fun and people have really been enjoying it. I've, you know, me, Christy, I make people sit on their hands and feel their sea bones and all that stuff. (laughs) And you would be amazed how many people commented back holy cow, I, now I know where my seat bones are. I never knew what my, where my seat bones were. Awesome. That's incredulous to me, but I've had that comment mm, probably a dozen times since I made that post, so I know it's really helping people out. So those are the kinds of things we've been doing, and I, it's been very uh, viewer-driven, so the, uh, the viewer ha- asks questions and I answer um, and the viewer has suggested topics, which I've tried to um, to address. So it's it's been a lot of fun. I love that it's fluid and ever evolving. That's what I like about it too. You know, you're you're allowing kind of the viewers to dictate it to you. You're not dictating it to them. I think that that's that's awesome. Yes. Yeah, and that works really well. And um, so, and then 
The Q and A's, I, I just people write their questions and I answer them. So they're all unscripted. They're all very candid. The sort of anonymous format on the internet, uh, you know, allows me to answer questions um, with a lot of candor. And I think that's really enlightening to people, even if they're not the ones that answer, ask the question, they go, oops, I think I may be guilty of that myself. So we've been talking a lot about, you know, owning your own mistakes with horses and, and how easy it is to make mistakes and how you own those mistakes and, and why your horse might react negatively when you make a mistake. And so anyway, I, I think it's been really helpful for people to be able to talk in real time about real problems. Um, and as you said, it, it's what they're asking for. I'm not forcing information on people. So you mentioned about the people that are now all of a sudden, hopefully, as things start opening up more and more, be able to get back to their horses and do stuff. And some of these horses might not be getting regular turnout and exercise, so they might be a little airs above the ground. So what groundwork and mounted work exercise do you like and do you want to share with them that would help them with this transition? Well, sure. First of all, I think it's important to remind people that your horse does not become untrained just because he didn't get ridden for two months. He, if you had a good solid relationship with your horse two months ago, that exact same relationship still exists today, but there will be uh, moments or hours or maybe a few days of let's get reacquainted. Let's remind ourselves of how we do this. Let's re let's remember what the old normal was um, so, but I think a lot of people think if the horse hasn't been ridden or handled for two months that you automatically have a wild bronco on your hands. And that's just not the case. A well-trained horse could go years without being ridden or handled much and, and remember everything. So, uh, that's one thing. The other thing is, uh, for sure, you know, Consider the situation. What is the age of the horse? What was his prior training and performance level? Um, if he was green and had no ground manners before two months layoff, he's still that way. But if he was a well-trained horse, um, what you do to get reacquainted is going to be very minimal. Um, so has that horse been cooped up and not turned out? Well, that's sort of a big issue to resolve. So if I know that horse has a lot of pent up, um, energy, obviously I'm going to choose activities that will help dissipate that energy, but I don't really, I don't like to work the energy off of a horse. I would rather turn him out and let him play to get that energy out if I could, um, and rather than be, make it a working, you know, situation in a round pen or something like that. But if the horse was very green, had a lot of pent up energy, maybe he's a very hot blooded horse. That's not that well trained. I would probably start with some round pen work because it would take a little oxygen out of the horse and, and get him more focused on me. Um, certainly I would go through a series of lead line exercises on the horse, reminding him, um, that I call all the shots, uh, that there's a certain way I expect him to hate to behave on the ground. I expect him to stand still when I ask him to stand still, to move with me when I move, to raise his feet off of me, to not crowd me with his head, not crowd me with his shoulder, 
Um, all those things might just be a little reminder for that horse. If he's been turned out for two months with a herd, there will be a period of reconnection that has to occur. You have to separate him from that herd, get him out, do, do some work with him so that he's listening to you and focused on you. Um, and, and you may or may not need to take a little energy out of the horse before you move on, uh, with your riding work. But look, if, if I, if it were me, my horses who are well-trained, well-behaved, I have a solid existing relationship with them and I was unable to ride for two months, I'd just get them out, tie them up, groom them, saddle them. And I probably wouldn't even do any groundwork with them. I'd probably just ride. I might long trot them, get some air out of them that way if they feel energetic. But these are these are well-trained horses that I have a you know reliable history with. So it's kind of all over the map of what the situation is with your horses as to what specific exercises you're going to do. Um, but mostly it's going to be about getting that horse's focus off of the herd and back onto you and to remind him, this is the way we do things. And these are my expectations of you. Does that make sense? It does. And especially the part about get him off the herd because he's probably been with the herd, right? For the last couple of months or whatever the case may be. And, and you have always been part yeah. of his herd, but you haven't been there. So mm-hmm. it makes sense. So there's where your groundwork, your round pen work is going to come in handy. It reestablishes the relationship between you and that horse uh, as he's getting his mind off of the herd. But not, a lot of horses will be so grateful to have your attention and to get a good grooming. They, you know, most horses really like the attention they get from people and they, they don't love being ridden, but they like all the other stuff that comes with it, you know, like your attention and the, you know, socialization and all that. So um, I think in many instances, people will be pleasantly surprised that their horses are just ready, happy to see them and ready to get back to business. Well, for everyone listening, like we mentioned with Bob, Julie is also going to be at our international conference this fall in October, which is going to be held October 30th through November 1st at Texas A&M University. And everyone listening is invited to attend and come and enjoy. Julie does a lot of uh, talks for us where people are up on horses so you can actually ride with her as part of your conference fee. So that's super fun. And we'll know for sure if we're going to have it that first week in September. We have an early bird registration, and so we'll kind of see our number then but as of right now we're planning on it so we're excited to be able to have you come to that julie it'll be fun to have you there and see you well i'm super excited to go back to texas a&m it's a fabulous facility and the horses are awesome there and it's such a unique event where people uh like-minded people come together because they love horses they love teaching horsemanship and it's the only conference I know of where you actually get to ride school horses and take lessons instead of just sit in the audience. And so it's a very unique uh, conference. In, in it's um, it, it has such a sense of community as well. I have to say, um, uh, above and beyond everything else, CHA brings with it a very strong sense of community across the country, across. Canada, Mexico, all over the world. Um, So that's a really cool thing as well. I look forward to being there. Well, and we love our extended family and we love, Julie, that you're part of our family. We love that a lot. So how can (laughs) folks find out more about you? Um, Of course, they can go to our CHA site and find you, but how can they find you and find some of these daily tips that you've been talking about on today's show? 
So all 60-something, however many we have, of the daily doses of horsemanship homework are in one spot on my website. Just go to juliegoodnight.com and then type in slash daily doses, and you'll find them all there. Uh, Some of them originated on YouTube. My YouTube channel is um, just Julie Goodnight. And some of them originated as Facebook Live posts, but they're all cross-posted on YouTube and Facebook and on my website as well. So just go to juliegoodnight.com and you can find out more about all of our programs and and our online uh, shop as well there. So it's all in one place, one nonstop shopping. And a lot of people are starting to ask now when we're going to get back to uh, going on the road, doing clinics and all that. I actually have my first clinic um, the first weekend of June. And, uh, so I'm excited about that. And then that's, and then I don't have anything scheduled again till the fall, but I'm looking forward to getting back to traveling whenever it's safe to do so. And so you can find out where I'll be on uh, what my event schedule is at juliegoodnight.com as well. Well, thank you, Julie, so much for being on today. It's always a pleasure and um, next time you're driving by my house to go to the airport, you know, you need to stop by and say hi. I will do it. All right. It's good. <laughs> Thanks, Great Julie. to talk to both of you. Take care. Bye. So she mentioned, Glenn, about um, getting back to it. So everybody's clear, too, on listening today. CHA certifications are starting back up. We normally do 80 a year, and we've done four so far. <laughs> but we're starting back up in August. Um, and the first one's going to be at Colorado State University. I'll actually be doing an equine facility manager certification there. And then we have a bunch of others. So just go to CHA.horse. Look under Find. Um, you'll see a logo at the top with our logo that says Find a certification clinic near you. And then they'll all come up. And they're in August, September, October, and November. So take a look and see where they're going to be because as things start opening up, we're going to be able to do them. And of course we do, our certifications are very small. We don't allow more than 10 people anyways, so they work out well. So um, when is the conference again? The conference is um, October the 30th through November the 1st. And again, you can go to cha.horse and click on International Conference, and you'll see all the different options of come for just a day, come for the whole thing. And anyone that puts in HRN for Horse Radio Network will get the CHA member discount to come. Even if they're and not that's a, a big deal for us. We normally <laughs> don't do that. So, Very good. Well, and you can find, you know, if you missed any of the links that guests talked about today you can find them in our show notes for today's episode just look on your podcast player or go to the website at horsesinthemorning.com if you go to the website at horsesinthemorning.com scroll down to the middle of the page you're going to see all the monthly shows that we do on tuesdays and thursdays click on cha and it brings up all the past episodes for the last what seems like six eight ten years i don't remember how long it's been (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and it's always new and exciting the last two months seems like ten years (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, it's funny because before the show, Christy mentioned the Rose Parade. It's like, I know I watched it, but I don't remember anything about it. It was only a couple months ago. It's like, it feels like a lifetime. It does. It when does. he said the stands were packed and people were on top of each other, and it was amazing five miles. I went, oh, one yeah. day again. <laughs> Do you find yourself looking at TV shows or commercials where everybody's packed into a place going, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, my, my boys and I call it vintage. Look, there's a vintage movie on. Vintage yeah, because two now. people are talking to each other within six feet. <laughs> That's funny. 
<laughs> all right, we'll get back to that one of these days. Well, thank you, Christy, for putting this all together. It was fascinating. A bunch of good guests, and uh, it's always terrific to hear uh, the stories. And I especially loved hearing about the cadets. He was something else. I, I could have talked to him all day. It was something. Yes, it was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you very much, Glenn. <laughs> Until next time. Until next time. We'll see everybody. We'll be back tomorrow. Jamie will be here. Horses in the morning. Wait, I got to figure out how to use the button. There it is. Bye, everyone. I had the wrong button. I got 25 sliders on this thing.